Welcome to Stories That Stick, a podcast series about the stories that shape us. Love the title, hate the script. I was like, uh, is this man okay? Listeners, before we begin, please know that we start all our conversations with death because we believe that death truly makes us reflect about the life we live and we aim, in our own little way, to share the life of our guest. And in today's episode, we have Joy Garabo Aquatojo, a screenwriter and film producer who's best known for producing award-winning short called Haircut and soon-to-be-released feature film Blue Story, which is directed by Rap Men. That being said, we hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, how I like to start off with is with death. Yep, nice, happy, cherry topics. I'm not saying that this is going to happen in touch, but it doesn't happen anytime soon. But if you did die, oh. how would you feel? I'm trying to figure out how honest I should be. I need you to be. <laughs> how honest I should be. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I can always edit anything out you don't want. Them, so. It doesn't matter. Um, no, so at 16, I tried to commit suicide. And which is why after my dad died, and I was like so confused and so lost in the world. And there's a lot of other stuff that factored into it. And I remember like, you know, I, ju- I just did it. Like I didn't care about anything, anyone. I just, you know, took this overdose. I mean, I laugh about it now because looking back, the pills I took were like, they were giving like a tummy ache, like at, oh. <laughs> at best. But at the time I was fully prepared to go. And, you know, when I look back, I'm like, so happy I didn't because the life I live now is is rich and full you know and there are times when I do sort of like still battle with like depression or I still think about what death might be like and then I always think about what my legacy is and I feel like I haven't yet left the legacy that I want to leave then I'm like well I can't really go yet can I because I still got things to do but even in saying that, like, death does scare me, but at the same time, I think, like, because I believe we don't really die. You know, I'm going to quote person of interest because, you know, Please. it's also an important show. <laughs> and it's the final episode when, you know, everyone's dying and stuff. And there was the whole quote of, like, what happens when you die? Like, you know, it was like everyone dies alone. But if you mean something to someone, if you've touched someone in some way, then you don't really die. Like, people still have you. Exactly. And that's actually really the premise of why I started this new podcast. Because I genuinely do feel like it's the stories that matter. Yeah, 100%. So let's speak about your legacy. And I want to start by going into your first decade. Any fun stories, memories, books, anything that you recall? And if you need help, I know you do. (laughs) That you definitely wrote something about a magical fish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember when I was young, we used to go to my dad's village, Orogu, which is in Wari. There was a well, and they used to say, like, a big fish lives down there. Big magical fish. It's been there for hundreds of years. Obviously, you know, as a kid, you're trying to look down the well, but you just see bare darkness, isn't it? Because, you know, it's a well. You know, and sometimes your mind plays tricks and you start hearing things and you're like, oh, there's a fish down there, isn't it? And that's always stood with me. And more, and more recently, I asked my mum, I was like, what about this fish? <laughs> and she was like, 
you know, what they believe in, you know, what happened was because years and years and years ago, they, they actually threw a fish down there, like a big, big one. But she's like, it's not there anymore now because <laughs> the world has even dried up, but they want to believe it's there, so it's there. I was like, oh, okay. And I felt, I felt so disappointed, you know, because I genuinely believed there was a big magical fish down there. And I, I think I told a few people when I got back to school, I was like, oh, yeah, there's a big fish in there and it's just in the world, but there for hundreds of years and it's got magic. So what was childhood like, just genuinely? I read a lot of books when I was younger. And I, and I Did was, you? Yeah, I read loads. My mother used to say, like, <laughs> like, I wouldn't go to sleep. I would just be reading. And then I think that's kind of where my maybe the storyteller also comes from. But I used to love reading books. But what books were you reading? Crime books. At that age? Yeah. I love this is a zero to ten. I love crime books. Plus, everyone's trying to colour in between the lines. I, my dear, I'm, I'm advanced, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> my brain has left the rest of them behind. <laughs> That's so interesting. <laughs> but like, I used to love reading crime, reading crime books. And um, oh, what's that book called? Uh, Goosebumps. Yes. I used to love reading Goosebumps. So I love reading stuff that was just kind of, that told you what people were. Crime tells you what people are like. And horror, because, you know, it, it tells you about people's fears. So crime is, you know, crime is about what we really want to do. And horror is about what we're really scared of. Interesting. So, yeah. What were you scared of as a child? Uh, <laughs> I don't know, you know. I, I do know. My parents, Your isn't parents, it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my parents scared me. It was like people are scared of ghosts and yeah. like witches. My parents were scary, you know. Were they quite harsh disciplinians? My mum was, my dad wasn't. No, my dad was harsh to my brothers. But you know, I'm the only girl. So um to me it was just like, oh, my daughter. To my, my, my father <laughs> and you're the youngest as well i'm the youngest as well my yeah. mom was like she took no prisoners <laughs> no she doesn't care who you are where you are ha. so let's uh, fast forward to your next decade were there any stories that you read <laughs> any fun memories there were a lot of stuff that because i was in boarding school oh Okay. So, you know, like things go down in boarding school. Uh, a lot of stuff goes down in boarding school. Forget things go down in the DM. You know what I mean? Out. Welcome to boarding school because it was hilarious. But at the same time, you know, the, the good thing about boarding school is like, I think most people who go to boarding school, especially if you're from uh, a culture that is outside of the West, we all have similar stories in that. Oh yeah, the ghost here, the ghost there, or like this or that is happening. My thing was the tree spirits. There was this whole thing at night where, like, when we're all asleep, they would all come out of the tree and have a meeting. And also because at the time, <laughs> we're having the stories. So our, our, like, dorm teacher, she used to say in the morning that students kept on throwing stones at her door at night. And everyone was like, oh, asleep, what are you talking about? Because she would come out and look, but there's no one there, innit? Hmm. And you used to hear all this creaking and stuff in like the common there and then like the dorm, like where they had tables. Just like the wood starts to creak. And you're like, but ain't no one sitting there, innit? So how is it creaking? And then it was like, oh, like that's when the spirits come out. They're all going for their meetings. So all the creaking and stuff you hear is like, they're all out, innit? It's midnight, because the sound, for some reason, you only hear it at midnight, 1 a.m. Like you don't hear it at like 2 p.m. Just like, yeah. 
I love that. I love it. So you brought that into the tree spirit having a congregation and a meeting about how to. I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. They just be meeting and stuff. I don't know. They just be like hanging out and having a barbecue at night. I don't even know. But it's kind of like. Did that? Did that make you guys behave, misbehave, or was it just a part of a norm? So it was having... a norm, man. It was just like. So having supernaturals around you isn't. Yeah, because isn't it's scary. nighttime. Like you're minding your own business. You're sleeping, and they're doing their thing. It's not your business. So you can coexist without it being an issue. Yeah, I mean, bearing in mind, like, we also believe we had witches in our midst. Mm. So and when there was one girl who was like, oh, yeah, I'm a witch in it. And we were like, oh, man, can't mess with her. <laughs> She's part of the coven. <laughs> you said books has always been really quite crucial to mm. your understanding of the world and an understanding of who you are as a person. Were there any specific books possibly within this decade um, that really resonated? And no, why? I, I started writing actually during this time. I started writing um, stories, one of which got me in trouble. Okay. It was called LA Confidential. LA Confidential. And that was before I knew there was a damn film, by the way. Okay. So like, I feel like they stole my idea. I don't know how they got my idea. They got into my head and took it. Because yeah, exactly. I was in boarding school. So I didn't know nothing about no other LA Confidential for what I wrote. But... <laughs> 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 but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but um no I actually wrote like it was a detective like random book and I was supposed to have been about 12 or something 12 or anything like that and um I remember I wrote this thing a story and it must have gone around and people read it like, this is DC you know but also it had like sex scenes in it as well yeah at the age of 12 13 which person at that age said, but, but I don't think they were that explicit but then, <laughs> so what did you know of sex at that age? I mean, what did you? you were know, you starting to grow? You know what you sexual? see. You know what you see on TV. But also, I was twelve and I was kind of mature. And you know, it's Nigeria. I know Nigerian men like they don't. They look at you and they look like, oh, you're a woman. They don't care about like. Mm. I used to get grown men just going, "Hey, darling, hey, baby," and you're like, "I'm a child." Um, but also, you know, when you go to boarding school, you know. You have different ages, so you learn things very quickly. For me, I knew I was bisexual at least when I was 11. I think as kids, you kind of pick up things so quickly. So for me, like when I wrote what I wrote, I knew what sex was. I had an idea of it. That's what I wrote in it. And then I remember a teacher got hold of the book. Yeah, I was going to say, how is this circulated? There's no print I get, at a time. Listen, my hand on paper, innit? Wow. On, and like, you know those, I used to have notebooks. I, I filled out two notebooks and and um, and taped them together. And it went around. And a teacher got hold of it. And she called me. She was like, I read your book. You know, it's very explicit in the sex scene. She was like, you've done this before. I said, no, auntie, I didn't do anything. <laughs> Was I never done it before in my life? Never in my. I just I just hear something and I put it down on paper. <laughs> anyway, she took the book. I never saw her again. <laughs> I don't know what she did with the book, but she took it. She's like, I'm going to hold on to it. I'm mm. like, okay, but did I she, didn't do nothing. Did she compliment you? Did anyone like sort of see this as a talent of yours? For Wait, a few you people to... who read it were like, it's good, but that was the you know that was the next time that I really wrote again. So right. I feel like I started doing more, I went, to, I used to go to the library a lot more, but I, I did a bit more just reading encyclopedias. Really? Yeah, I remember reading the dictionary because I wanted to learn more words. But bonus, Why? Why is that? Did you feel that you weren't? No, like, I just, I just like, just liked words. Well, it's almost a given now, knowing what it is you do do for a living, yeah. that 
you almost can't do anything but what you do for a living. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Based Stories are a thing. Yeah. Um, but that was like I think that time was I just I just started writing stories. But I, and I and I started to write a lot of poetry at the time as well. Did a lot of poetry. You really wanted to express yourself. Yeah, like, because writing was the only way I knew how to talk about my emotions. Right. Um, and it was something in my A level. When I was in A levels. Um, English lit. God, I forgot her name now. Just so bad. But my teacher at the time. We had like a thing to do exercise. And she came in, she gave everyone their papers, their marks. And then when it came to me, she put no mark on it. And she was like, Joy, you can do better than this. You're a very expressive writer. Like this isn't expressive enough. Like, like you're very emotive. And then one of the girls was like, Miss, what do you mean she got no mark? <laughs> Why is she getting a mark? Was it that bad yet? <laughs> right, was that bad yet? <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting is you started with this decade being in boarding school in Nigeria. Yeah. But you left, you finished the decade being in the English system. Yeah. So, education. Yeah. So I finished and I came and did my A-levels. So here we are. We're officially in this decade. But if we then move on to your third decade. So now we're looking at age 20 to 30. This is where I guess one would hope, and this is always a journey and it's going to be a continuous journey, but one would hope you're starting to understand yourself a lot better. And career-wise now, you're starting to understand what paths you're going to take. Mm. What did you study knowingly or hopingly, or not hopefully, that's not even a word, <laughs> but what did you study in hope to become this Scriptwriter, screenwriter, producer, film industry. Um, my first degree was film studies. I didn't really understand what film studies was. I mean, it, it's still helping me now, but it was more theoretical, Queen Mary University. There was a bit of practical in it. And then the teacher that I had there, Eugene Doyen, he was amazing. And I love that. There's always one teacher. There's always there? one teacher. And he, teacher. I remember like I wrote a script here, gave it to him. I was like, yeah, it's bags in it. Oh, it's an amazing story. He looked at me, he, he read it, and he goes to me, love the title hate the script and I was like uh is this man okay but I remember like he said to me he's like joy I'm only being honest with you now and doing it this way because I can see you really want to do this so I'm preparing you for the industry because this is how it is mm. people are just honest and blunt they don't have time to sugarcoat things I feel like he knew I was gay before like I told anyone mm. because he gave me like he was I'll oh, go read this book it was Sarah, it was Sarah Waters um tipping the velvet which is just like a gay ass book. And I was like, what the fuck am I reading this for? I went reading, I was like, oh shit, they're lesbians. <laughs> I was like, does he know I was anything? Oh, <laughs> um, but you know, and I remember like he used to read my scripts and just give me advice. I think he was one of those people who kind of maybe go, okay, cool, I can do this. And then when I applied for my MA, he read the script that I used to apply for that. Um, which then got me into my MA for screenwriting, which is what I really wanted to do. Right. But, you know, after I finished university, I still kind of like, I tried to do a bit of like um, directing, the, you know, my own stuff didn't go so well. And then somebody said, a friend at the time said to me, oh, I've got a friend who wants to make a film. Do you mind producing it for him? He's got the money. I was like, yeah, cool, whatever. So I did it for him. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm actually good at this. So that's how I just started to produce off the back of that. Right. Um, Christine Vachon, which is like an amazing producer and somebody who I think inspired me to get into producing because she has this amazing book that I read called The Secular Life, which is basically a memoir of her producing as an independent producer. 
but you know she's independent she's gay and I remember reading it going okay that's what I want to do like that's that's the thing that's that's it right there but for me as a producer now having both screenwriting and producing skills it's, it's for me it's so good because I can look at stories differently and I can talk to writers differently and directors in a way where structurally we're looking at what they're trying to do and what they're trying to say you know mm-hmm. I hear that. um but also during during that time it was like yeah trying to find random random producing work also still working like a 6 a.m to 2 p.m job so i could then go off and produce stuff afterwards but i also need to have a life in it because i'm young and i'm just exploring the gay scene in my early 20s and i was like oh my god it's so so you see that thing of like you know, I'll be in GAY from like 5 to like 10 p.m., 11 p.m., living my best life. And then I would get up at like 5 to go to work at 6. And then finish at 2.30 and sometimes go from this and produce and stuff and then later on just like go out and be gay again. This is a lovely way to tie this up. When it comes down to identity, especially your sexual identity, you were pretty much coming to terms with it. And Mm -hmm. are there any books or was there any books that... Oh, no, I couldn't find any books. Hence why, like, now the kind of films I want to make are, like, black, queer and female focused. Because remember there was a time, like, this is probably when I was about 19, 20. I was literally like, I need to find books about with, with other black women who have just come out and... Um, a lot of other black lesbians would know this who were my age too, oh, older. <laughs> but there was a book that came out time ago. It was called Does Your Mama Know? But it was black Americans who were writing about their experiences of coming out to their parents, be them American and be them Jamaican. I could relate to a lot of those experiences, but I couldn't find anything here. I mean, I think there was a couple of things that I found, but they, they weren't the same. They weren't telling me about, okay, that is what is going to happen because you're so black and Nigerian and you came out to him with I think there's, there's, there's a few books that have come out now mm. that are trying to tackle that but I think it's only in, early in the past like six years that I that actually more recently in the past like two years that I've really just kind of come to terms okay Joy you're gay you're Nigerian and your mother knows like she's known since I was 25 right. but now it's like oh she now I feel like cause the older you get you're like you want to have a very open and free life where you, you know you, you don't want to deal with like the whole oh you're gay what will I tell the auntie what will I tell this person and children uncle as if you cannot more, no more have children for some unknown reason oh, what's going to happen and the marriage I can't even you know all of this and that and you kind of get to the point where for me now I'm at a point where I'm like even with my brothers I'm like here's what's happening in my life if you can't deal with it that's for you know it's for you to handle like, but I've come to peace. This is who I am now. So it's like for my older brother, it's that thing of, you know, and I told him I had a partner. He was like, I see. And I was like, only see, nothing else to say. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think he still, they still got to figure it out for themselves. And you kind of realize that for other people, it's just that it's just their own conditioning. It's really interesting because it is a conditioning. Yeah. It reminds me of the social experiment in which where it was a Vox Pop went on the street and asked, you know, oh, so at what age do you think homosexuals come out? And, you know, people just give some arbitrary number, mm. maybe 12, 13 mm. and stuff. And they're like, okay. And at what age do you think heterosexuals have to come out? 
you know, yeah, it, it yeah. stumped them. Yeah. And that's the very premise is like, well, no, you, you just know you are, you are what you are. And yeah. it's this conditioning aspect that I find interesting because many of us are conditioned in the heteronormative yeah. narrative. Yeah. It's, very, it's, it's tough. It's difficult. Yeah. It's heteronormative. It's very patriarchal. It's very kind of like, there are all these things that you have to do because that's just the way society is, as opposed to for you. You know, mm. I remember like when I was younger, my mother used to be like, oh, you have to clean the house. I have four older brothers. Why can't they, they they have two hands and two legs? She's like, ah, but they are men now. I was like, ah, okay. So does that stop their hands and legs from working? Probably even like, you know, my, like, like now my brothers are better cooked than I am. So I'm like, so all the time I had to cook food. Mm-hmm. And the guy is like a five-star chef. But it was me that I was making the food from the house when this guy can actually really cook. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Let's actually bring it to the present. You are a producer for now. Mm-hmm. And a writer. And a writer. Yeah. Tell us what you're up to. Making films, isn't it? I, I get that. But I mean, like, you know, this is where you puff up your chest. Accolades. Oh, I could I talk don't about know, blue man. stories. Yeah, I could yeah, talk, you know. yeah. I mean, when's this coming out, though, isn't it? <laughs> Don't worry about that, Jay. Jeanette Cheese, cheese. Don't worry about that. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Um, yeah, what would you like to well, say? No, so about... I've just done like Blue Story, which is obviously the biggest thing that I've done. It's Paramount, it's BBC Films. It's like, it's huge. Like, you know, honestly, a year ago, I didn't think this was going to happen. Like, I was, I'm, in, I'm, I'm making my own debut feature as a writer. And then October just went mad. No, actually, no, July this time. Hey, it was July this time last year where like I was sitting in, um, Oh my god, what's that place in Stoke Newton? It's banging Jamaican food. Okay, I forget it, but yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, but anyway, it's banging food. Me and my, my, my mate were sitting there after we're just sitting down and we're eating, we're talking. I got an email, like DJ Films, and I was like, looked at it, girl, and it just said, Hi, Joyce, Damien, here's my CV. I've got a project you want to work on. Literally, just like a link to his website. I was just there going, What is this? No, I didn't even look at it. I went to my friend. Oh, some guy just named Damien Jones. I thought was like, are you mad? Open that email. <laughs> I was like, ah, who's Damien again? I thought was like, don't you know who Damien is? So I opened the email, clicked on the link. I was like, rah. <laughs> Amanda, an iron lady, you know, adulthood, kidhood, older hoods. <laughs> I'm fab, you know, Belle. I was like, okay. And so I thought, and then so like, and Damien's on it, you know, you don't waste no time. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm kind of interested. He was like, cool, can you talk in like five minutes? And I thought it was like, answer the phone call. Mm-hmm. So yeah, literally like, and that was it that day. This, you know, we, I spoke to him. I watched Ratman Shiro's story and I read the script. For the record, Ratman is the director of this. He's the director of Blue, Blue story. story. Yeah, yeah. And he uses music and drama to make his thing work. And um, you can check him out on YouTube, you know. Mm. And then, um, yeah, the following week, you know, I'm at BBC Films. I'm at Sony. I'm at Lionsgate. We're having meetings with people that I promise you in my life at the time I never thought would be possible. So, you know, like. But it is possible. Yeah. But how was it possible for you? Honestly, I just worked. I was just more focused on just doing the work. I wasn't like, you know, obviously everyone wants to get to the place where you, you, where life is easy and you're making the things you want to make. I was just kind of like, this is my brand, this is what I want to do. And Kobe, who's an amazing filmmaker as well. He had a, he wanted to do a feature and I was like, no, let's do a short. Let's do one more short before you do your feature. And he had a great short called Haircut, which we did for um, Film London Calling Plus. And it was good. But I think neither of us expected to, to do what it did. 
like it just it opened so many doors for both of us that we were kind of like raw like we weren't expecting it at all and then so off the back of that an agent independent Anwar who's also Ratman's agent you know he went to Damon oh talk to Joy she did this film and literally that was it so I think off the back of all these things and just your portfolio started to speak for itself yeah exactly and I think working on the on, on this one with you know, Paramount and Blue Story and, and BBC Films was was also a really eye-opening experience for me to understand the kind of films I want to make and how I want to make the films. And um, so now I feel moving forward, my ambition has grown. Um, I was talking to this producer, Rosa Rattab, you know, and she, she said, like, as people of colour, we never have ambition. Like, we never think we can do A, B, C, D. And... She was like, you have to think bigger. You can't think that that is not for you because, you know, only white people get that. Yeah, there's structure, structural racism, but she's like, you still have to believe that you can go beyond that. And I think, you know, for me now, when I look at the, the things that I'm trying to do, my next slate of projects, I'm thinking more about how do I scale up now and how do I go beyond 2 million, 3 million, 4 million, and, but, but still doing it in a way whereby... I'm not sucked into Hollywood because I don't, I don't particularly enjoy it. Because mm. I love being creative. I love being a storyteller. I love all those things. And I want to find a way to like maintain that, but still create just amazing work. No, I'm with you. I'm with you, Joy. And I think we're definitely going to have to look out for your next production. Yeah. So we started about death. What would you take with you? To the afterlife, if you believe there's an afterlife. Oh, man. I think poetry. Sounds corny, isn't it? Yeah, but no. poetry, like there's something. Anyone's in particular? No, I mean, not really. Just different poets. It's like take different bits of love, anger, death, desire, all of it. And good poetry really makes you feel. And I think... My thing with poetry is that you take good poetry and you forever have the feeling of life with you. No matter where you are, you just have the feeling of life. Amazing. I love that. It's been an absolute pleasure. I want those who are listening to also love you. Love me. So how can we love you uh, on the World Wide Web or wherever? Go to my Twitter account okay. at Joy Guerrero. J-O-Y-G-H-A-R-O-R-O. Yo. <laughs> and, um... That's it, really. Well, thanks very much for joining us on Stories That Stick. Thanks for having me. And guys, you know how we do with the rest. Rate, review, share. Subscribe. Subscribe. Catch you on another episode. Bye. Bye-bye. Today's episode was produced by Ade Bambala. Sound designed by Chris Orise. And if you'd like to be featured on Stories That Stick, then please do get in touch. Hey guys, Joy mentioned suicide. And if you yourself potentially might be suffering from any mental health related issues, then we highly recommend that you seek some support and help. And here are just a few of the organizations that we believe might be able to help you. If you visit Samaritans, they offer 24 hours a day, seven days a week support service. And you can call them free on 116 123 
And you can also email them on jo at samaritans.org. We also recommend Calm, which is Campaign Against Living Miserably. They have a helpline from 5pm to midnight and a web chat to support men. And last but not least, we also recommend Papyrus. Papyrus is spelled P-A-P-Y-R-U-S. You can call the Hopeline UK number on 0800-068-4141. Alternatively, you can text 07786-209697. And you can email pat, P-A-T, at papyrus-uk.org. Once again, guys, thanks very much for listening. And please, please do seek any support you can. Take care. Blacticulate Productions.